Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. We're going to conclude today what's been the longest ever series, 10 weeks. I hope it's been a series that's helped you. And if you haven't got the book, the book is still available on Amazon. It's available in the cafe after the service. And I think the prayer is that somewhere on, the, uh, on this journey, it's helped you. And the series verse on the screen is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We who have unveiled, unmasked faces all reflect the Lord's glory. God wants us to reflect the Lord's glory. As we fill in that form, we are reflecting the Lord's glory and become in the likeness of Christ. So I encourage you to dare to be the real you. The audio version, the new version study guide is going to be released in the next couple of weeks as well. So today we peel off one final mask. Now for some of you, this will be a mask that you feel you've dealt with and the majority of you probably have. Um, And for some, this will be a life-changing day for you as you make a decision to become a follower of Christ. But I also want you to understand the damage that this mask does to those who haven't taken it off yet. And so today, if the only thing that you take away from this message is the fact that it helps someone else, that's enough. So today, if you walk away and go, I've dealt with that, but I am now equipped to help someone else, that's good. And if you grew up in a church and you've been coming uh, to Soul Church, or you grew up in Sunday school, you've been coming long enough, the word I'm going to talk today, you've heard before. You've heard it from a preacher, you've read about it in a book, in the Bible, uh, you've sung about it, but in this postmodern age we live, this has now become purely a theological term, and it's now only a word that you might hear in church, or you might hear around Christians. It is the word sin. Don't all cheer. It's a a word that we use in our relationship really to God and no one else. I mean, you wouldn't say to to your wife, you wouldn't say, honey, you've burnt the potatoes. You are a sinner. Well, you shouldn't do that. Police officer pulls you over and, you know, here's a sin ticket. No, it's it's a speeding ticket. The reason that we resist the word sin is it feels heavy, doesn't it? The word sin feels like a dirty word, it feels depressing, it feels ugly. So even in this postmodern age, pastors, preachers, we tend to just pull away from it a little bit. So what is sin? It's a word that we kind of hear of from afar, but the word sin is actually an archery word, which means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. God has given us morals in this book to live by. This is a a book of grace, but it's also a book of direction. And when we miss the mark of what God's called us to live with, that's what the Bible calls sin. Now, the good news today is we've all missed the mark. Okay, we've all missed the mark. The Bible says this, we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. And sin causes us to to fall short of our God-given potential on earth. God's got a plan and a purpose and a destiny for you, but sin will stop you fulfilling that, and ultimately it has eternal consequences, which we'll touch on at the end. Steve Morstan spoke brilliantly two weeks ago um, on Father's Day, didn't he? I think it was probably his best message yet on the prodigal, prodigal son, the prodigal father. 
And it was about six months ago, Steve and I, we went running together, and we were discussing the final chapter of the book. And I said, I feel like I've got to talk about a subject which is not popular. Um, it's, not a, it's not a subject that, I've, in fact, I have never preached a whole message on sin, let alone written a chapter of a book on it. So this is new territory for me. I've talked about sin. I've talked about the, you know, the, the consequences of sin, but I've never actually spent a whole 35 minutes talking about it. And Steve and I are saying, well, should we try and lighten it a little at the end of the book? It's quite a heavy way to finish the book. The problem is, I just felt the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow me to remove this chapter, but even more so, he wouldn't allow me to rename the chapter. And really, everything in this book is dependent on chapter 10. Because we've talked about rejection, fear, anxiety, We've talked about perfectionism. We've talked about insecurity. We've talked about a lot of human emotion. We've talked about a lot of things. And really, I should have started the book with chapter 10. But if I'd have started chapter 1 on sin, no one would have gone to chapter 2. So I figured out, if we put it at the end, most people get to the end think, I've done nine chapters. I might as well do the final one. Okay, so that's why it's at the end of the book. But really, it's a foundational chapter for the rest of it. And so... As Steve was speaking around the prodigal son, I felt God download even more on me from the, the, for the book. And I'm going to add to some of the content of the book because I was stirred with some fresh revelation. So I want to just go to Luke chapter 15 once more. And for those of you who have been to church the last few weeks, you'll know the story. But for those of you, this is your first time in church. The story begins with a father who has two sons. He has a younger son and an older son. And the younger son asks his dad for his inheritance early. Once he receives it, he goes off on a long journey. And he goes to a distant land. The Bible says he begins to waste his fortune on wild living. You can figure out what that could be. His money runs out. And a famine, at the same time as his money runs out, hits the land. He can't get work. The only place he can find employment is at a pig's farm. He ends up not just uh, working on a pig's farm, but living in a pig's farm and eating pig's food. He is desperate. He is destitute. And he comes to his senses... And he decides to go back to his dad. He goes back and he asks for forgiveness and mercy. And the father receives the son back with open arms of compassion. And the son is overjoyed as the return of his lost son. The, the, the parable of the lost son is a picture of a natural family that is broken. But it's also a picture of the father and us his children. How from time to time we all wander off. From time to time we all end up living wildly, doing things that we shouldn't. And the Father continually throws his arms open to us. And it's a picture of grace of the Father and the Son. So we're going to pick up the story right at the end in verse 20. It says, he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The heart of this story is restoration. 
The father's heart towards his children, just as a natural father's dad would be towards his children, the heart of the father is restoration. And in this story, we see four steps as the son is reconciled and restored to the father. And as the son removes this mask of sin. These are the same four steps that I believe today we can take as we reconcile ourselves to God daily. Step number one is this, the son recognized it. Recognize it. Sin is a really uncomfortable word. Really uncomfortable. So we've decided because it's so uncomfortable to replace it and use a word which suits our postmodern culture. Can anyone guess what the word is that we've replaced? So we've taken sin out of the narrative and we've replaced it with another word. Can anyone guess what that could be? Busy? Not quite. Mistakes. Mistakes. Now this is a really poor exchange for the word. Sin is way different from a mistake. You can make a mistake in your, in your math test. You can make a mistake driving down the road. You can take the first left and the center of the second left. You can make a mistake with the potatoes at lunch. So let's just have an, let's have an, let's have an honesty moment. Who would say, I am a sinner? Okay, a few of you. Who would say, I've made a mistake? None of us want to admit we're sinners. But we're happy to admit we've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. But sin is way bigger than a mistake. And the problem is with the word mistake is we can make the same mistake for years and know we're doing it and just keep making it. People use their mobile phones when they drive. It's just a mistake. People have affairs. Knowing it's wrong and Oh, it's just, I just had made a mistake. Sometimes you can even plan your mistake. You can be an Asda loading up on donuts. You might not eat it for a couple of days and then you eat three at once and you go, oh, I've made such a mistake. You planned your mistake. You can plan a mistake. You can prepare for a mistake. It's a mistake. So the problem with the word mistake is the word mistake is a bad substitute for sin because it falls short. A mistake just doesn't cut it. What do you do if you make a mistake? You correct it. You correct a mistake. So if you fail your maths test, you've made mistakes, what do you do? You, you, you study, you resit it, and you pass. You've corrected it. If you take the wrong turn on a road, what do you do? You stop, you turn around, it's a bit frustrating, you've made a mistake, and you correct it. The problem is, I can't correct I, me, and you can't correct you, you. Because it's deeper. Why do I keep doing the things I know I shouldn't do? Has anyone ever asked themselves, why do I keep doing that thing? Why do I keep phoning that person? Why do I keep visiting that person? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going to that app on my phone and keep gambling and wasting money? And why do I keep looking at that website? Why? Because it's far deeper than a mistake. It's bigger. 
And everyone's tried to fix you. Your spouse has tried to fix you, counselors, mentors, pastors, teachers, but nothing changes. Why? Because it's actually sin. It's sin. And we're really uncomfortable talking about it now in this postmodern culture. And you've been asking yourself, why can't I change? And you've tried everything. But actually, it's sin. Now look at the son. Look at the son's first step when he comes back to the father. He's been living. He's been wild living. Verse 21 says, the son said to him, father, I have made a mistake. No, 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 no. Father, I made some poor judgments. Father, I made some poor choices. No, no, no. He comes back. He calls it as it is. He comes back and he says, I, no, no, no. I have sinned. That dirty, heavy, ugly word. He calls himself out. Let's just imagine for a minute a young guy in a foreign country with unlimited money. I mean, he'd have made some choices that wouldn't have made his father proud, hey? Gambling, multiple sexual encounters, drink, drugs, you name it, what he'd have been up to. He wasn't describing mistakes. He was describing sin. Jesus didn't call us mistakers. He called us sinners. Jesus didn't die for our mistakes. He died for our sin. I can fix my mistakes. We all make mistakes. I can make a mistake today on stage and you might laugh. That's typical John. And I can fix it next time. I say, I'm sorry. But that's not sin. This is different. And the younger brother recognized he was wearing a mask, and it wasn't a mask of mistakes, it was sin. I can fix my mistakes, but it's only God who can fix my sin. You can't fix you. That's the bottom line. You can't fix you. That's why Jesus came to die for us. And the first step to restoration and peace with God is this we've all sinned. We've all sinned. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Until we see ourselves as sinners, we never recognize we need a Savior. It's not until you're drowning in a swimming pool that you recognize your need for a lifeguard. And so we can never truly experience the love of the Father until we recognize that we need Him. And the Son is in this pit with pigs and he recognizes that he needs the father because he's squandered he's messed up his life and he's he's kept trying to get it and for some of you you've kept trying to get your life on track and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you try the next best thing and it's like still in the same place and God is saying today he's saying I get it and I love you but the reason you keep making mistakes is because they're not mistakes it's actually deeper than that it's sin and it's ugly but I've got some good news. You don't have to stay like that. And this is what happens. Recognition paves the way for restoration. So when you recognize your need for Jesus, when you recognize that you're a sinner, 
It's not a backward step in your life. It's actually a forward step because you're on the first step to restoring your life back into freedom. So the first one is to recognize it. Number two, and this is the big one from the sun, is you've got to own it. Because one thing to recognize you've got sin, but then you've got to take some ownership for it. What am I going to do to change? He takes responsibility. In verse 21, it says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned. There it is, recognizing. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The, 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 the son recognizes that the relationship is broken with the father. I think it's, it would be broken, wouldn't it? For a long time, if, if your son ran off with, your inherit, with his inheritance, it would have a consequence on the relationship. And the relationship with the dad is broken, it's dead, it's gone. And the relationship is not dead because of mistakes, it's dead because of sin. Write this down, sin destroys relationships. Sin will always destroy relationships. If relationships are breaking around, around us, there's a reason, because sin's present. Sin's present. But the son says, I have sinned. He didn't, he didn't come up with a list of excuses like I would have done. He didn't use the word mistake. He didn't, he didn't pass on the blame to his big brother. He didn't say, oh, this girl made me do it. I was wild living and she forced me and he did this and I was wrong. No, no, no. He took responsibility for where his life is at. And sometimes we get close, don't we? We say, I have sinned, but... But we like to put a but in there because why we, we don't live in a, in a world where we want to take personal responsibility. He didn't wander off and come back to his father and say, yeah, I, I've sinned, but oh, my older brother, oh, I just wanted to get away from it. He was such a jerk. I came into my office a few years ago and he was all upset. I said, you all right? He said, not really. He said, I just got my girlfriend pregnant. He said, I don't know how it happened. I said, son, just sit down. Let me explain a few things. <laughs> you know exactly how that happened. <laughs> you got to own it. Yeah. You got to own it. Father, I have sinned. He didn't say, Father, I am sorry. He said, Father, I have sinned. You know, when you ever acknowledge sin in your life or in a relationship, you're on the pathway to restoration. I don't care what's happened in your marriage, who's played away from home, whenever you take personal responsibility in a relationship or in a marriage for something that's happened and you say to your spouse, I have sinned, guess what happens? You're on the pathway back to life. And he recognizes this in this relationship. By the way, this works in any relationship. It works with the father, with people, with children. Have you noticed as well that I'm sorry, when you say I'm sorry now, we, we've taken the I'm out and it's now, sorry. We've taken the I out of I'm sorry, so we're just left with sorry. Well, who's sorry? Oh, sorry, did that. No, 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 no. We've taken the I out. Why? Because we want to push out personal responsibility for the mistakes we've made. And the enemy is constantly trying to remove these things. It's tactics. And the only way relationships can ever be restored is when you keep the eye in. The, the son comes to the father and he says, I have sinned. He didn't say my brother was a jerk and made me sin. He said, I have sinned. Sorry if this is heavy. I know it's heavy. 
You'll be out of here soon. Anyone can say, anyone can say, sorry. It takes courage to say, I am sorry for my sin. You know, admitting sin is, feels like a backward step. I think for the young boy, I think he, do you know who, the punishment for what he'd done was actually death in those times. But the father loved his son. And when Jesus ever spoke, when Jesus ever spoke on sin, he always spoke in terms of restoration, not condemnation. When Jesus ever spoke on sin, you think of the woman, she comes to the well and She's been out and about, let's put it that way. She's had multiple partners. And the Pharisees, the religious people, they're ready to stone her. In fact, they could have stoned her. They were in their rights to stone her to death. What kind of age were people living in, hey? And Jesus comes along and breaks up the show and he says, hey, just before, just before we throw stones, I'm happy to join in, but you, the person without sin in their life, you throw the first one and then I'll join in. And one by one, the religious people backed off this poor woman who's made a mistake. And Jesus turns to her, writes something in the sand. We're not sure what he wrote. All we know is he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. But now I've got, it's not just enough for your sins to be forgiven. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus will always go big on grace, but he will also be tough on sin. Now, this is a message which can get confusing because people can go, oh, I can just do what I want because God's grace will catch me. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Jesus will always, the Bible says he has removed our sin as far as he's from the West. He loves you unconditionally. That will never change if you're a follower of Christ. But here's the thing. He is still tough on sin. Why? He's always going to be tough on something that he paid for. We go out to Pizza Hut two weeks ago with the kids. It was our first time back in the hut. Kids love it, all right? It's a massive night out for the Normans. And they're all excited. And my son orders his pepperoni kids' pizza, £7.99. pence. How do I know that? Because he didn't eat it. There is nothing more frustrating for a parent when you take them out for dinner or you take them around someone's house and they prepare a dinner or you pay for a dinner and they just sit there staring at it because they've been eating cookies from the cookie jar when they got home from school. But you know why I'm frustrated with that? Because I'm paying for the pizza to go into the waste bin. So why is Jesus tough on sin? He's tough on sin because he's paid for it. He's paid for your sin. He's big on grace, but he's tough on sin. He says, go. Go is the grace. He says, you're free. You go walk in freedom. You're free. But he says, "Don't, don't do any more of that. Don't go around his house again. Don't call him. He's going to mess your life up. Don't. He didn't say, don't go and make mistakes. Because this was deeply rooted in, his life, in her life. This was sin. Look how the father. Let me just say this actually. that Jesus doesn't raise the bar in our lives because he wants us to fail. He raises the bar because he wants us to be free. 
So I'm not saying this message because I want you to have a dull, boring, bad, legalistic, religious life. That's not what I'm talking about sin for. I'm doing this message because I want you to live in freedom. Freedom. And look how the father responds to his son. In fact, before he responds to what the son says, look at what he'd already done. It says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him. Before he even gave him any home truths, he said, you come home, son. The the kiss was a sign of acceptance. Acceptance. Keep kissing your children, guys. First thing I do, if I'm ever on the phone and my kids come home from school, the first thing I do is kiss them. It's a sign of acceptance. I know they've been little tinkers at school. I read the reports. (laughs) But the very first thing I do is kiss their foreheads. They can come running in. Hey, Jussie, daddy loves you, son. Now, what have you been up to? (laughs) Don't let the first thing be a... That's what the father did. This is a picture of family. This is a picture of, oh yeah, he should have. I tell you what, if I was a dad, I'd have got my. Yeah, you come here, son. Get in there. Get my belt off. Because that's what he must have felt like. He was a farmer. He, this wasn't just you know a thousand pound inheritance. This was a sizable portion of money. Some people believe equivalent to hundreds of thousands of pounds that he squandered in just a few months. The father must have been gutted. I would have been. Should have invested that. Could have put that into crypto. (laughs) Back then he'd have done well. I've got to be careful. I'm probably already in trouble online. But then, look look at this bit. So the father, let's just jump forward a bit. The father is having this conversation. The son says, Father, I've sinned. I've messed up. What I think is funny about the next bit is the father doesn't speak back to the son. He speaks to the servants. So he ignores the son. And he's, it's a bit like, have you ever tried to get a message to someone on social media? But it's about them, but not to them. So you're trying to get a message. They've upset you, and you're like, you, it's a subliminal message. It's one of those moments in the story where you're hoping they read it on your story. You're hoping your ex sees this. It's a picture of you with your new special one. And just get the message across. And The father, he turns. Instead of talking to his son, the son's just poured out his heart. He says, servants. Servants. He talks to the servants. He says, quickly, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Hey, get the fatted calf. The fat guy. And kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now he is alive. He recognizes it. He owns it. Wait for this. Third, he celebrates. He celebrates it. How do we know that the father even heard the son? Well, he said this. He said, for the son was once dead, but now he was alive. Question, why was the son dead? Why was he dead? Mistakes? No, he was dead because he was in sin. Sin kills you. It kills your purpose in this life, and it kills your eternity in the next life. Sin. 
But the father recognizes this and he says, hey, he once was dead, but now he is alive. And this is the problem. Mistakes set you back in life, but sin keeps you back. So you can make a mistake and you kind of oh, waste a couple of months on that and to study, but you can get yourself back on track. Here's the thing with sin. It always keeps you where you are. Your life can't move forward with sin. How do we know? Because in Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says this, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, strip off, hang on, before we go, every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. What does sin do? Sin slows you down in life. When you make a mistake or when you sin, here's what happens. The more you sin, it feels heavy in your life and you feel like your career can't move forward, your marriage can't move forward. You're trying to bounce two people at once in a relationship. It's sin. And it holds you back. And Paul said, hey, if you want your life to move forward, I love to go for a run. I love running. But here's the deal. If I run, these are 50 kilos each. If I run with two feet, I know I make them look light, but if I run with these two 50 kilo weights, I ain't going to get far for too long. Why? Because they're heavy. 100 kilos is a lot for a guy like me. So what do I do? I put the weight down. Paul says, strip off the weight that is. Strip off and run. Run the race marked out for you. Why? Because then you can run in freedom. And you can't run forward in life while you're wearing the mask of sin. Because it's not just a mask. The problem with sin is it's a weight. We've seen the damage that sin has done over our nation or done to our nation over the last couple of weeks. Key political leaders that are making decisions when they're living in sin, making decisions for us, 65 million people, thinking that you can be one thing publicly and another thing privately. Well, here's the thing. Sin affects a nation. Sin affects us. Proverbs 14, 34 says this. It says, righteousness exalts a nation. What is righteousness? Right living. But sin is a reproach to any people. You know, one of the sad things that's happened over the last 18 months with all the COVID stuff is that rules have overtaken morals in our nation. We're more concerned about someone breaking a rule. As much as what happened in 10 Downing Street wasn't good when it comes to social distancing, people were more concerned about him breaking social distancing rules than morals. The man, he had three kids and so did she. And people were more on their hobby horse. I'm like, I ain't worried about the social distancing. I'm worried about the standard that this sets for our nation and families and marriages. And we've got to get back to morals. Nothing can move forward of rules. But a country can move forward when righteousness exalts it. So can you understand now why God loves to celebrate when we own our sin? Look what happens. He said, my son was lost and he is now found. He said, let's begin to celebrate. Heaven celebrates when we let go of sin. Imagine that son at the party. Can you imagine him? Just a few weeks ago, a few days ago, he was, he was living in a pig's pen. He was living amongst animals and just a few days later, He's back at the father's house having a party. 
That's a picture of what God can do in your life. He can take you from a stenchy, stinky life where you're confined, and He can say, hey, if you just give me, if you own it, if you recognize it, if you give me your sin, guess what? I can get you somewhere where you could not imagine in quite a short space of time. If sin got you out of trouble, it got you into trouble, getting rid of sin will get you out of trouble. He said, hey, if you just own it in your life, you can see what I can do. Every time I come here on a Sunday, I'm not just celebrating that I'm in community and it's fantastic that we get to be back in community and I love it, but I'm celebrating that my sins are forgiven. This is a celebration that I'm clean. Because when the son went to the party, I'm sure he was pleased to see everyone, but he was celebrating going, I'm forgiven. Wow, the, the father's forgiven me. When you come through the doors, when you drive up Mason Road, you're not just coming saying, I hope I see my friend and hope the coffee's good and, you know, I hope, hope the word's all right. No, you're coming to celebrate the fact that you are forgiven. I'm no longer in sin. I'm a child of God. And as I lift my hands, as I raise my voice, wow. You've got to recognize it. You've got to own it. You've got to celebrate it. Number four, and finally is this, you've got to share it. 2,000 years later, we're still sharing this story. Isn't it a great story? The prodigal son, we're sharing that he owned his sin. Today, I want to just be really, really, really open. I, I pray that this is the share it is for us. But I've got to just take a poetic license on the story. I'm pretty sure that this, that this son went around telling everyone the story of what his life was. We don't know any more from the story, but I know that it's a pretty cool story you'd want to share to your friends how much his dad loved him and forgave him. We've got to share the story. We've got to share it. Today, if you're a Christian, I want to get you a fresh understanding. We actually need to talk to people about sin. We've actually got to get back to sin. Not, oh, hope you make it. Pat on the back. Keep going. That's all good. That was chapters one to nine. But none of that actually works without dealing with the root issue in your life, which is sin. Because sin is the only thing that can separate us from the Father. When the son was in sin, he was separated from the father. If you want to move your life forward, you've got to make that call. We can't water it down, guys. We can't. We are doing people a disservice if we call it mistakes. We're we're doing people a disservice. It's sin. People can't be free until they acknowledge that they need a Savior and you only need a Savior if you acknowledge that you're a sinner. Here's the good news. God's grace covers all of our sins. All of our sins. I'm really not a golfer. Really, really not a golfer. Occasionally they drag me out on the, on the, uh, on the course. I just don't have the concentrations levels needed to take it seriously. I hit the clubhouse last I went out and they were asking me um, questions. One of my first memories, in fact, of playing golf was um, I was on a course, I was on a Tavern course about I don't know, 15 years ago and I, was, uh, I watched a ball come over the hill onto the green from a different hole. I thought, hello. So I looked around and ran onto the, just put it in the hole. And ran back and I was like, I just thought, I'll watch this moment. 
This guy comes over the hill and he's looking everywhere for his bull. And the last place he looked was in the hole. He looked in there and he's little, he went like this on the course. He had this little, had a little jig to himself. I can guarantee you he is still telling his grandchildren about his hole in one. I'm sorry if you're watching, I've spoiled your day. But well done. You, you were close to the hole, but it didn't go in. You say, well, what's that got to do with sin? Absolutely nothing. Just talking about golf. Um, but many golfers, many golfers are, are fans of what is called a mulligan. A mulligan. Mark Hollinger loves a mulligan. And if, you, if you're a golfer, you'll understand what a mulligan is. It's, it's if you shoot the ball and it goes into the water or the bunker, if you've got a real kind playing partner, they'll say, hey, you can have that one. And they, they remove it off the scorecard. And you, in fact, if you've got a really good playing partner, you can have as many mulligans as you want. Um, it's just not counted. Here's the good news. God offers us a mulligan. Every time we slice it and we mess it up in life, we fall short of the bunker or fall short of the hole. What is sin? It's when we miss the mark. God says, hey. You see, when you become a Christian, God removes your sin from your life. It's completely removed. But does that mean I don't sin anymore? No, it doesn't because I'm human. I still sin. It just means God's grace is there to forgive my sin. You've got to make a decision. I'm not going to live in sin. So before I became a Christian, I am a sinner. But when I became a Christian, I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm no longer a sinner because the Bible says sin shall not have dominion over me. Does it mean to say I, may, I sin sometimes? Yes, because I'm human. But that's where God's grace comes in and catches you. You can't fall out of God's grace. You fall into it. Wow. But you've got to make a decision. Many of you have made this decision before to become a follower of Christ. It starts with the Son coming to the Father and said, you know what, I've tried this. I've tried wild living. I've tried all sorts and hasn't worked. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've acknowledged I've tried to do this my own way and today I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to come back to the Father. And in that moment, you receive God's grace. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not, listen to this, not counting people's sins against them the mulligan God's committed to this if you're committed to God God is committed to you in this Jesus has paid for your sin now I'd love to tell you there's another way to get to heaven I'm sure you're amazing I'm sure you help out at your local food bank maybe you help groceries for the little lady next door maybe you've been kind at work maybe you've been generous maybe you sponsored someone on their walk this week and all those things are amazing but none of those things qualify you to get to heaven they don't there is no other way to get to heaven without acknowledging your sin there's no other way you've got to acknowledge your need for Jesus Good works, paying your bills on time, have no eternal significance for your life until you recognize this one thing. I am a sinner and God is my savior. And when you recognize that, that's when life begins. God's not into condemnation. 
He's into restoration. He's into reconciliation. He's into your life moving forward. So, do I still sin after I become a Christian? Yes. Am I a sinner? No. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? I want to just pray for... anyone right now who's saying wow I've just listened to that and maybe coming to church and maybe felt disconnected but you'll be honest today and say John I'm like that prodigal son I've got sin in my life it's not just mistakes it's bigger than that I keep missing the mark today the father's arms as Chantel was singing the father's arms are open wide they're not closed he's not angry he's not mad but he's paid for it. So the question is, will you receive it? Receive his grace, receive his forgiveness. He loves you, friend. He loves you. I wish I could water this down and do it another way, but there is no other way. The only way you can get to God is through Jesus. There's no other way to get to him. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to give you a new start today. A new chapter can begin. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I want to know who I'm praying for. So I want everyone who says, I'm a follower of Christ, my sins are forgiven. I want you to pray right now because people's destinies are at stake. Oh, God. He's saying, God, I need you today. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to rah-rah this moment. I'm just going to simply count to three. And you say, today, John, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. When I get to three, all I want you to do is signal to me by slipping up your hands. And today you can have a fresh start, a new beginning as Jesus removes the old and gives you a brand new start. One, he loves you, friend. Two, would you have the courage right now to respond to his love? Three, just shoot your hand up nice and high. He's going to respond. God loves you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, that's me. Thank you. That's it. You can put your hands down once you've lifted them up. Amazing. Amazing. Why don't we say this prayer out loud? And even if you didn't lift your hand, but you felt like maybe this moment's for you, you can own it as well by just, just praying this out loud. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he loves me. Today, I acknowledge my need for you. I'm a sinner. But today, I repent of my sin. I receive your love. I receive your grace. Today is a new beginning. A new chapter begins in my life. Amen. Amen. Would you cheer for every person online, in the room? Well done. Amazing. Wow. Maybe you lifted up your hand online and no one was there to see it. That's okay, because God did. Just drop us, a, drop us a little message, say, I have decided, or hey, I made a decision today to leave my sin behind or following Jesus. Let us know one of our team online will make sure we catch up with you. And those in the room, as you leave today, in just a couple of minutes, we want to give you a gift. It's a Bible. Maybe you don't have a Bible. You can take this hard copy or if you want to, download the digital Bible. There's a Bible app and the Glorified Prayer app. You can do that as well. They're great ways to stay in touch with the Bible. But our team will be out there. We'd love to give you a Bible. I also encourage you to keep coming back to church.
keep coming back to church. This is a great way for your faith to grow and to build and to continue to fight community. And also, let's be together in this. Let's help each other. When we fall, lift each other up. And for everyone who made the decision today, I personally want to give you a gift. It's my book. It's the last day of the series. So everyone who's made the decision today for the first time, the team will be out there. They'll give you a copy of the book as well because it will help you. And I should have put, like I said at the start, I should have put chapter 10 of the first chapter, but no one had read the book. So... It's kind of a bit topsy-turvy, but it works. Um, I've had a lot of people. I got an email from a prisoner in California on Friday who's read the book and given his heart to Jesus. My heart was just so turned. I was like, wow, a, book, a guy in a prison in California has read the book. and So amazing. And So if you know people who are dealing with fear and insecurity and worry and all these things and sin, get them a copy of the book. Send them online the book up at the cafe and let's help people let's help people walk lightly let's help people walk into freedom this is the best decision you've ever made love you church it's been a great series thanks again for tuning in and if you said the salvation prayer today we'd love for you to email connect to faith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope to see you again soon. God bless.